Welcome to the Neighbors Church Podcast. This is Shua here with a quick note on today's teaching episode. On Sunday, our audio file corrupted and we had to get a different USB and put it in right in the middle of the teaching. So what you have here is just about 20 minutes of a teaching from Dan. But I think that what we were able to capture is still extremely important and potent for us to hear as a community this year. He started by outlining the cultural problem we find ourselves in exhaustion and our response to that in the spirit being rest and resilience. And so he's going to outline some of the ways we're going to tackle that as a community this year and give a bit of vision uh, as we attempt to follow the leading of the spirit this year. Thank you for being a part of our community and thank you for listening to the podcast. Now, I don't want to put any, you know, mess up on your mojo for 2023. I want you to go for it with gusto. But the truth is, statistically speaking, this is just empirical science. 9% of us are only going to make it to 2024 actually having completed our goals. 43% of us expect to quit by February. Sociologists call the second Sunday in February quitting Sunday because it's the most common day for people to be like, I tap, I'm done. Give me some sugar. Give me some alcohol. I'm not going to the gym. (laughs) Here's the one that really shocked me, and I'm actually part of this statistic. One in four of us already quit our resolution this week. (laughs) I did. I'm already sugared up. I've already had a couple beers, and they were amazing. (laughs) So what's our problem with Goal setting, resolving. Are we just weaklings with no willpower, no strength of resolve? The truth is there's a whole cocktail of brain, body, and behavioral issues, spiritual and physical, that war against our resolutions. In the world of self-determination theory, which studies human motivation at our deepest level, they would say that it's not that we're not strong enough. It's just that the parts of our brain that drive us are stronger than the parts of our brain that make rational decisions for us. It's really the plight of the human existence. We're smart enough to know that we're making dumb decisions and then we still make dumb decisions anyway. It might be better to be a baboon. At least you're not thinking about it. (laughs) There's literally a civil war between the neofrontal cortex, this thing that makes us uniquely human, and the part that makes rational decisions, and then the entire limbic system of our bodies, which is driven by emotion and instinct. And those baser drivers went out every single time. So every single time we try to fulfill our resolution and pursue our goals, something more powerful takes over in our brains. And it's what we would call the force of instinct or the force of habit. The force of habit. Habits. In simple terms, habits are connections of neurons that work together that have benefited us over time. Unconscious connections of neurons, patterns of behavior. And so the more we execute a habitual behavior, the stronger those neural connections become in our brains. Aristotle said it best. We are what we repeatedly do. Now, there's an expert in motivation. His name is Dr. B.J. Fogg, and he's an expert in habit formation. And he says, to give us some hope for this year, that the best resolutions we can make are not these huge, massive ones, but tiny little ones to build on incrementally. He explains that tiny habits are easier to develop if we get that immediate reward, that dopamine hit. If we set the bar too high, we're going to discourage ourselves. But if we set the bar really low, we get that little dopamine hit, and it drives us forward. So Fogg advises that you, you scale up your goals by starting with easy, fast, daily activities that work best. I'm going somewhere with this, so track with this. 
Vogue talks about all of us, you know, something like 75% of our resolutions are to exercise and get more fit. And so he says, we all want to exercise more, but getting to the gym or working out or leaving the house because of barriers is like finding 30 to 60 minutes, putting on workout clothes, showering afterward, all that stuff is just too much. And so instead, what this doctor did is he developed a daily habit of every time he went to the bathroom and then was washing his hands, that was his cue to go to an empty wall in his house and do two wall push-ups. That's it. Go to the bathroom, wash your hands, go to the wall, and do two wall push-ups. But every single time, neurochemically, you're developing a habit that creates a reward system, and over time, you incrementally build on those two wall push-ups to where after a year, this doctor was doing 50 full push-ups a day. Resolution reached. Goal accomplished. Which brings us back to our two goals for church this year. Rest as a way of being, resilience as a way of doing. Those are huge goals. Those are not incremental. Those are talking about deep transformations of the utter core of who we are. And so to help us along with our transformation, I want to introduce you guys to one of my most valued mentors. This is Benedict of Nursia, bald guy with a beard. Got to respect that. Got his hands up in the symbol of authority. Benedict of Nursia, he was a 5th century spiritual leader, and he is considered by most to be the father of Western monasticism. To move forward this year as a church, and this has been seeded in this community from our onset from the very beginning, but we're making it more concrete starting this year. We're going to be taking our cues from deep in his Christian history. Christian thinkers and leaders like Benedict, saints all throughout our history have long understood the inability by sheer force of will for us to attain our goals and be transformed. And so what Benedict did, and others like him, is they developed communities of monks whose lives were based around vows and practices, and those vows and practices over time formed habitual behaviors that made them who they were. Benedict's communities, they made a commitment to live together, to work together, and to transform together through the intentional and focused use of various practices. Now, track with me here. Benedict called his sets of practices a rule of life. How many of you, by a show of hands, are familiar with the language rule of life? Great. You guys are all reading John Mark Comer. You guys have been at practicing the way. This is the stuff that we are going to be unfolding through this year. A rule of life for those of you that are unfamiliar. Number one, note. It's not rules of life plural, as if we've got a set of rules that we must abide by. It is a rule of life. And this rule of life was developed as an idea of a trellis in a vineyard. And so the metaphor that Jesus used was for us to bear fruit, we have to be on a trellis. We have to be lifted up out of the dirt. We have to abide in the vine so that we might bear much fruit. And there needs to be this support structure upon which the vine grows. So a vine without a trellis would only bear a fraction of the fruit that it's capable of. But a vine on a trellis that was tended to by the vineyard keeper, well, it would bear abundant fruit. And so as we abide in the vine this year and bear much fruit, we need a trellis. We need a, a kind of life structure to create space for us to abide. We need a set of rhythms and habits. Go to the bathroom, wash your hands, do two push-ups. The next day, do it three times. That's a rule of life. And it's a form in which our commitments, our vows to one another and to God begin to really take shape and transform us. That's what a rule of life is. A rule of life is a schedule of daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly sets of practices and relational rhythms 
that creates space for us to, as our tagline goes, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. This helps us to live in alignment with our deepest desires. I've resolved to do this, but my limbic system is patterned to do something totally different, so I'm going to adopt an incremental rule of life that's going to slowly over time habituate me and transform me from my deepest being into my truest lived out desires. Now, all of us are already living by a rule of life. You all already have a rule of life by which you live every single day. You have a rhythm. You get up, you stumble to the coffee, you make your coffee, you brush your teeth, whatever order that goes in. You get on your phone, you scroll. That's a rule of life. You have this time to get ready for work. You put your makeup on in this way. You shave your head in this way. You have your rule of life, your rhythm. You have your pattern in which you live already. And so all we are doing this year at Neighbors is we're going to begin developing a lifelong rule of life for all of us to live together as a community for the sake of becoming a community where rest is our way of being, resilience is our way of doing. We actually, the end goal of this is to become a community of love a community of love, a community of the kingdom on God, kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So very practically, we're almost done this morning. What does this look like? So I mentioned John Mark. He's a friend of mine, and we are joining up with practicing the way we are joining up with hundreds of churches across the nation as John Mark is launching his new ministry, Practicing the Way. And over the next three years, we're going to be rolling out nine different practices. But here's what a rule of life might look like. Here's my rule of life that I developed from the website. This should be up on the screen. Is it not going up? No. Okay, we didn't get it. So there is a rule of life. If I look through my rule of life, my rule of life includes things like gratitude habit, you know, listening prayer in the morning, journaling, imaginative prayer at least once a week, memorizing scripture. That's a new thing for me, even though I have a tons of scripture, but literally memorizing it. Monthly, I want to do, or actually for me, quarterly, I want to do a retreat like I just came back from. I want to do at least a monthly full day of silence. This is a rule of life. If you begin to add to your rule of life, it can get quite complex. And so we don't want anything extensive. Remember, B.J. Fogg, the doctor, we've got to start small. So here's what I'm laying out for the next three weeks as we get to the book of Ecclesiastes. For the next six months, we're going to start with two practices for the first six months of this year. Two practices that we're going to focus on as a community that will transform us into a community of rest where resilience is our way of doing. The practice of Sabbath and the practice of scripture meditation in the book of Ecclesiastes. Deep meditation in the book of Ecclesiastes and Sabbath. So next week, I'm just going to give a quick overview on Sabbath because in March, we're planning on renting out a space and we're inviting all of our small groups, all of our church, anybody and everybody that you can think of on Wednesday nights, we're going to rent out a space and for four weeks, we're going to roll out Practicing the Ways material on Sabbath, which is a four-week module. If you're not familiar with Sabbath, you'll be trained in it. If you have questions, Sabbath is an extensive, extensive topic within the New Testament church and seeing great revival within the church. Next week, I'll do a brief teaching on it to just kind of begin priming the pump. And so all of this first six months, we are going to be Circling back to the practice of Sabbath. What is Sabbath? Why Sabbath? Why? Because that counterforms us. Sabbath will counterform us against the exhaustion that's wearing us out. Sabbath has changed my life personally. The practice of a one day a week, every seven days, the seventh day, ceasing, delighting, resting, rejoicing, just 
being at rest as my way of existence. Radically changed my life. Radically will change your life. So be looking for that in March. We will be renting out a space Wednesday evenings, probably from 6.30 to 8.30. These trainings, prayer, Sabbath. But the second thing that we want to implement, and this is what I'm super excited about, is to counterform against the, the plague and the caustic acid of cynicism, we kind of want to sit at the feet of the chief of cynics in the Bible, a man named Koheleth. Can you all say Koheleth? Koheleth, Koheleth. That's the Hebrew word that the scriptures actually begin with in the book of Ecclesiastes. The words of Koheleth. Koheleth is a Hebrew word that basically means gatherer or assembler or teacher. And Koheleth serves as a sort of mascot of our generation. He was very wealthy. He was oversexed. He was drugged and drunk. And he was miserable. And then he writes about it and he says, you want to know why I'm miserable? Because this is all a vapor. It's smoke. It's chavel. It's just a fog. We're all punching at the fog, trying to find joy. We're all grasping at the fog, trying to get meaning, purpose, pleasure. And Koheleth serves as a mascot. And we're going to sit at his feet because within the book of Ecclesiastes, there's actually a second character, and he's our mentor. He's the author of the book. Koheleth is the teacher. We'll spend a lot of time listening to him. You've got to take him with a grain of salt because he's pretty bitter about stuff, a lot like you, a lot like me. And then the teacher every once in a while steps in and says, and here's the sum of the matter. Obey God. We're going to spend six months listening to the false pleasures and pursuits of trying to find meaning under the words of Koheleth. We're going to listen to the root of where our cynicism comes from. And at the end of the day, as we meditate day after day, week after week, month after month, I'm trusting that Koheleth as a mascot, and the author of the book of Ecclesiastes as our mentor is going to lead us to a place of resilience to where 2023, the cynicism eases a little bit and joy and delight and truth pervades our lives as we go forth into this world to be a prophetic and a pastoral presence to the people that God has sent us to. Here's what I want to take us to communion with. This is actually my verse for this year. It became very clear out in the desert over this last week. This is it for me. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Now, I wanted to put an ellipsis there. But instead, I thought it was important to go ahead and give you the full text. Isaiah went on to say to the people of Israel, but you would have none of it. Dear ones, this year, God has given you the great dignity to choose love, to choose joy, to choose purity, to choose humility, to choose faith. The nation of Israel chose to flee. It's, this is actually one of the most tragic texts in the entire book of Isaiah. The sovereign Lord comes to his people and says, in repentance and rest, you'll be saved. Rest is your way of being. In quietness and trust, through resilience, you will be strong as you are still, as you are silent, as you move with me through this life. But you would have none of it. And they ran off to Egypt, and they got their behinds handed to them for centuries. We, the people of God, 
ages later now are being given this opportunity in 2023, modern day San Diego, for our souls to say, what would it look like for repentance and rest to be my guide this year? What would it look like for me to anchor my life in a rhythm, a rule of life, with an entire community of people where I know that on any given Saturday, there's 150 other people that are resting and delighting that I might go and have brunch with. Not to work, not to talk about my woes, but to glorify and to worship God on Shabbat. Because Jesus has done everything that is necessary for me to rest. In repentance, where might I turn from my sin with this community of people? And in quietness and trust, go forth resolved with a gentle, humble, joy-filled resilience. We have this choice in front of us today. You would have none of it. Or today you can respond to that. Today the Spirit hands to you this invitation and says, My child, in repentance and rest, you'll be saved. You are so worn out. So rest. It's your choice. You gotta go deep. You gotta figure out what's driving you. You're gonna have to get underneath. Sabbath is gonna force you to face why you're so performance oriented. My child, be quiet. Stop talking. Just be still in quietness and trust. This will be your strength. Not manipulating people and the world with your words, but by trusting, by believing, by surrendering. For our brothers and sisters, millennia ago, you would have none of it. But the king has come, and the king has lived, and the king has died. And this morning as we come to communion Don't just let it be some sort of emotional moment. Oh, Dan, great teaching. That sounds great. I feel super motivated. Get as serious and raw and as real before the king crucified as you can, saying, I know I can't repent. I'm too prideful, but I want to. (laughs) And I know I can't rest. You guys want to know why the first three days of this silent retreat was so violent? Because I just sat there screaming, I can't be silent. This is making me crazy. And then like a little baby, you just kind of cry yourself to sleep. One night I slept 12 hours. I'm not kidding, 12 hours. And I woke up and I was like, I think I've been tired. (laughs) That's why I'm so cynical. Quietness and trust. Rest as a way of being. Resilience as a way of doing. Holy Father, gracious King, wonderful Spirit, Your hands made us and fashioned us. Give us understanding that we might obey your law. We are your poema, your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we are to walk in. And according to your mercy and grace, you chose us, lived for us, died for us, saved us to set our souls at rest and to send us missionaries, ministers of the gospel, here locally and globally, Out of rest, may we, with a joy-filled resilience this year, experience transformation. As we this year, Lord, lay out our rule of life at neighbors, not only us, but alongside hundreds of other churches across the nation, may the church once again, yes, experience renewal, renewal, but may she be resilient in these days. The monks in the fourth and fifth centuries, they really came to be the guardians of the gospel. They really held the church together through the dark ages and the collapse of society. And I, I don't know if we're, I don't know if 
Western society is collapsing. I really don't care. I know we must be the pillars of truth. We must hold fast the gospel of good news, and we must be a people of rest and joy and delight. Children. And so let these souls respond deep in repentance and rest. May they be saved. In quietness and trust. May that be their strength even from this this moment. Let this moment be transformational. One tiny little step forward towards them becoming truly who they are in you. All of us together. In Jesus' name.